So can you take all of the words and move them around and just, you know? (laughs) Oh, no, just cut out parts. What's Architecture Really About? Arcuspeak is the show that dares to peek under the architectural kimono, exposing what architecture really is, what it is that architects really do, and show you why we are passionate about our chosen profession. I'm Neil Pan. Join Evan Troxel, Cormac Phelan, and me as we have a casual conversation about all things architecture, which includes all the stuff people don't talk about. Think you already know what architecture is really about? Tune in to find out. It's time for some Arca-speak. Hey, Evan. Evan, what, what was camaraderie supposed to be? What was your thoughts there? Oh, I'm just thinking about this lately. It's uh, the lack of camaraderie within offices right now. Even in architecture as a bigger picture, you know, the, the, the NCARB, the testing, that that's kind of what got me onto this was just, you know, like, um, I think there used to be a lot more camaraderie, like the way that you did it, Neil, where everybody went in together and did it together. And it was this rite of passage together, and now it's like a standardized test that you can take any time, and it's anonymous. It's it's just uh, the 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 bean counters have weaselled their way into our profession in every single manner that they possibly can, and if made it as efficient as possible. And so now it's it's no longer an art form; it's an efficiency exercise. Well, you know? do you, yeah. Do you think that um? One of the that one of the reasons that that is is because of the economy. That maybe it's because I, um, everybody's. Good. I think it. I think it happened before that, but I think it's amplified because everyone's scared. Exactly. Right. I mean, every well, you know, you've got you've had slew of layoffs. You've had graduates who um, aren't getting jobs. You know, fresh out of college and stuff, and so really it's only amplified the me culture that existed in the first place. And so now it's everybody for themselves and damn the team, it, you know, and, it, and it's a shame that that's happening. And, and yeah, I see it. I saw it in the, you know, the last firm I worked for um, a lot because that was kind of like right in the middle of, you know, the worst of it all. Um, in fact, even when I was kind of working with, working for myself and working with, uh, it wasn't really myself. It was me and a couple of college room roommates that, uh, um, college buddies. They, you know, it, when it got to um, the bad times and stuff, you know, everybody kind of started fending for themselves. And, um, you, you know, you were you were talking about the ARE. Um, is being a you know kind of like this everybody went and did it together and there was you know a lot of a sense of camaraderie there was even you know uh i guess like the firm when i moved up to dc the firm that i worked for they you know it was 
was coming out of well it was night it was oh eight so it was still pretty bad but as an incentive they brought everybody in telling them that you know if you get if you take the ARE you know we'll support you we'll pay for your test we'll um you know you've got a guaranteed raise you know it was actually even in your contract that you got a guaranteed raise if you pass the test um even for lead they would you know uh give you a they had a five hundred dollar um bonus if you got your lead and they would pay for the test if you passed that's gone away i mean you know i, I don't see as many incentives in new jobs or offered to new hires um, you know, that incentive's gone. It's just my incentive is the job. You know, uh, all you do you want something nice? Well, guess what? You still got a job tomorrow. There's our nice. Um. Yeah, but um, I'm not so sure, you know, this is a recent phenomenon. And in our reference, um, when I passed my exams and became licensed, you know, I, I actually, you know, what did I get? I got a pat in the back. Uh, not even that, you know, it's more like, Hey, I passed. Oh, congratulations. Get back to work. Um, you know, there, there was no bonus. There was nothing. Um, uh, you know, there is nothing special. It was like, congratulations, you know, move on. Uh, here's the next thing to do. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know if this is a recent phenomenon or one that many of us are now experiencing when, the economy starting to do better. Um, there's some more jobs out there. I mean, I've known some people that have moved around now because, you know, their salaries have been cut for the last several years and they still haven't been reinstated. And here's another firm knocking on the door offering more than their, uh, original salary and because they need some people and, um, and they're jumping ship. And so there is some, uh, uh, there's some competition raising up and, um, you know, you don't see other firms stepping up to say, okay, no, we're going to, we'll keep you. We'll match the offer or something. There's letting people go. And, and maybe that has more to do with their economic situation. Um, but you know, you mentioned camaraderie, uh, when it came to the test, Evan, um, or taking the exams, uh, to become licensed. And I know when I took it, um, they were only offered like once a year. Um, it was around July or, or June in early June, early to mid June. And, um, it was like almost like a little class reunion, um, right. because, you know, I was on the uh, quarter system, so I didn't graduate until, um, uh, middle June. And so right. it was too late to, to take the, those exams. And so you had to wait for the next year. And so when you took it, um, you know, anybody that lived, it was only given in Northern California and Southern California. So you kind of had to go there and, you know, you'd see all these people you graduated with the year before. And there was a big team effort, you know, not necessarily in the studying, but just, uh, uh, but just, you know, Hey, you see everybody. Cause when you took the test, um, when I took it, it, it wasn't, you didn't walk into, um, you know, a room full of computers with dividers and you sit down and nobody sees you, nobody talks. Um, I mean, nobody, nobody talked when I took it. Of course, you can't talk during the exam, but, uh, you'd walk into a big giant auditorium and, right. you know, you'd sit down at these six foot long tables and you'd bring in your drafting board. Depends on whether that you were taking graphic exams or not. But, uh, 
those tests were given um, over a four-day period. So you'd come in, you know, 8 o'clock Monday morning and take exams, written or graphic, all day long till like 5 in the afternoon on Monday. And you'd turn around and come back on Tuesday and Wednesday and do the exact same thing. And then on Thursday, you'd come in at 7 and you'd start the 12-hour building design exam. And that went from 8 in the morning to 8 at night. No breaks. Um, you bring whatever food and drink you want to you wanna take. There's no lunch breaks. And you're given everything and instructions between 7 and 8. And they start the clock and that's it. Yeah, it's more like uh, almost like being in studio, right? I mean, except except with the added pressure. Well, yeah, the certainly the added pressure and and the fact that you can't really talk to anybody. Um, yeah. They even have proctors standing in the bathrooms. I'd I'd hate to have that job all day long. Uh, yeah, you know. I guess I guess my point more is not on the outcome of the exam and, and camaraderie that has to do with that. Even though, and you know, with with social media, with Twitter and stuff, you know, there definitely is uh, some camaraderie amongst. Smaller groups of people That's true. Who are rooting for each other when they're when they're taking these anonymous exams. But I guess I'm talking more about the experience um, of what you're talking about right now. When when everybody's there, you know, when they do it, when they used to do it down here in Southern California, everyone went to the Fairplex and they went into one of the giant buildings and they had all the the tables like you're talking right. about, and you bring in your stuff, and everybody just does it together. And that's why I I kind of draw the parallel to a rite of passage because everybody's there in this group that that just accomplished school together and now it's i don't know i definitely don't think it's it's any easier um i i know that some people say that um because i you know my experience is that it's it's probably one of the hardest things i've ever done but now you it is completely up to you and i and i would even say that the outcome you know the reason to do it Cormac back to your point you know there there almost is zero reason to do it um, if you're working in a big firm um, bonus wise or anything like that I mean you really have to want to just do it for yourself I think and 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 that's where my personal stance is I'm just doing this for me I'm not I'm not doing it for them and and there's nobody there asking me to do it Um, but it's it's just one of those things that that I want to get through and, and accomplish personally. Um, I just feel very much like NCARB. I feel like they don't want us to pass. Um, I feel like they make it as, and it's hard to kind of explain, but, but it is a bitch to do this and you have to schedule them and you have to pay a ton of money in fees. And, um, this this is just one part of the whole profession. Evan, do you think it was any easier, though, to... I mean, the scheduling part, when I took the exams, obviously was somewhat out of my control. It was given in the middle sure. of June. Uh, you had to take a week off of work. Uh, a lot of places, you know, didn't pay you for it. My first, you know, times taking it, um, I had to take my one week of vacation that I got every year. Yeah. And, sure. and that didn't include the probably week previous to the exams that I took off on my own, just unpaid so that I could spend studying for nine exams. Yeah. I don't think it's any, any different. It's just split up now. Right. I mean, it's the same thing. You just have to, but I do, but I do think it makes it, it makes it a lot easier for life to get in the way. 
because oh yeah, you know exactly. when it's given one time a year in June. Um, now I'll I'll also add that it was given the two of the exams, the twelve hour building exam and the site design exam. Uh, the two graphic portions were given in December every year as well. So you had a second chance at taking those, but you could only take them like once a calendar year or something. So you couldn't take them twice or something. I, I could be wrong about that, but, um, so, but I mean, you know, you really, you, that deadline of June was right in front of you and you couldn't go, okay, well, I'll schedule it, you know, for next month. Oh, well, something came up. I'll, I'll bump it to the next month after that. Oh, something came up again. Um, I have to put it off another month. You didn't have that option. So I think for a lot of people, uh, are, you know, I'm guessing maybe for many people today, this is part of the reason why it's taking, uh, many people longer to get licensed is because you do have that option and you can schedule them kind of whenever you need, whenever you can. Um, and life gets in the way, you know, whether it's work or whether it's family obligations, um, or, or just financial obligations. Um, uh, you know, these exams are, are a bit more expensive, um, than when I took them. Um, yeah. you know, and then you, you have IDP as well. When I, when I passed in California, uh, there was no IDP. And so, uh, I didn't have to go through that process. It's different now. You do have to do it. Uh, that's another added expense. It probably doubles the cost of what it was when I, uh, passed the exams. So, um, you know, and then it adds a whole lot of time. And, um, you know, I have, I have some, my, my own issues really with IDP is that if you're working for, say, a smaller firm that doesn't do all the different aspects uh, that are required by IDP, or you're not, you may not have the opportunity at the office you work at to do a certain piece of it. And it's like, okay, well, how do you handle that? And maybe there are ways to handle these parts of IDP that, um, you know, an office, a certain type of office may not offer. And you may have a great job. You may love what you do. Well, now you're stuck. How, how do you get this other experience? You know. Well, there are a lot. I mean, um, speaking from experience with, uh, like, say, AIA Tampa Bay, um, if you worked for a firm that didn't quite cover the cross-section of requirements that you needed for IDP, they would, um, you know, you, you could sign up for different type of mentoring programs that you okay. could go out and, you know, seek out that additional um you know, IDP requirements and stuff. So it, it, it was good. And then, you know, a lot of times um, I know people who were working for like, you know, more residential firms that really mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity to do some, you know, larger scale CA, you know, type requirements and, you know, right. contract management and stuff like that, that, you know, they would basically uh, kind of partner up with some friends that they knew at another firm and get okay. you know kind of kind of convince that other mentor um from you know their buddies to kind of mentor them um and, you know and there are ways i mean you know obviously if you're well that's good i mean that's good yeah i mean obviously if you're trying to actually get out there and get your license you're gonna find a way i mean there is things that i worry about with ncarb and that is there is the opportunity to basically cheat the system and just get somebody to sign off on your hours and whether you earned them or not. 
and and that to me kind of worries me but you know i mean we've had several twitter con- conversations slash debates about experience and when experience comes in and i don't want to get into it now but you know you 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 can get that experience back if you've not to say anybody's cheating out there but i mean you know if you're if you're not getting all of your hours or something and you kind of have somebody rubber stamp it and you're able to pass the test, um, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get your, um, your experience somehow. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about when you guys were talking, um, especially, you know, Neil, when you were talking about the, basically the old school way of taking the test, um, you were absolutely right. I mean, uh, the way that you can basically schedule it whenever you feel like it now, um, and you didn't have this rigid once a year, twice a year type um, opportunity, and that was all you got, it, it makes it a lot easier to, speaking from experience, it makes it a lot easier to just keep letting it slide, keep letting it slide, and then you realize, wow, I haven't taken a test in a year, two years, three years, five years, you know, and it just... <laughs> It, you know, yeah, you, life gets in the way, but it just makes things, it, it's just so much easier just to let it slide. Um, but then there's one other thing that I was thinking about when you guys were talking, and that is, um, and, and Evan, you brought this up, um, our fir- firms don't really use your license even if you had it. So where's the incentive of getting your license if, you know, you're not going to be responsible for signing and sealing documents. You're simply just there as a number of registered architects on the marketing brochure or um, when you're going after, you know, you're answering an RFQ and you're um, putting together your your forms for, you know, firm qualification. And they say, well, how many registered architects do you have? And, you know, they list your, you know, you as one of, you know, the many people that are registered. But what do you really do with it? You don't. You, um, you know, typically, I've seen you know most firms have one or two guys, and they're usually the partners that sign and seal everything. Um, so, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think that's the reason why a lot of people get their license. You know, there's a lot of people who have them who never, never sign the documents. You know, um, but I think it definitely adds a level of professionalism to you you know as a as a person and and what you represent don't you think for me it was a goal um i wanted to be an architect i you know i went to school and spent all the years i did in college and um and working and this was going to be my profession in my life and um i I just wanted to do it i I just it was so it, it was to me it was another step on you know that I started in college to complete okay so I, I finished college I got my bachelor of architecture degree and the next step was to get my license and it didn't matter whether or not to me I'm just personally didn't matter yeah. if I got you know the ability to sign drawings or take on that responsibility it was um no this is what I'm this is the next step in me becoming an architect and and then you know on a more lighter note it certainly made it easier at uh, when you meet people to say, well, what do you do? Um, well, <laughs> you know what? Neil, I'm an architect. Damn the, it. 
Exactly. You don't have to skirt around. Well, uh, well yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, I draw stuff. Well, yeah. Well, oh, screw it. I'm an architect. <laughs> yeah. Well, not really, but yes, that's kind of what I do. You know. Um, yeah, that whole legal issue of using the term and stuff like that. Um, it certainly made that a lot easier and, and I could just say, yeah, I'm an architect. Well, what do you do? Well, you know, then, then you him and ha or, or you do your, you launch into your elevator speech or somebody references some movie. Oh yeah. I saw a movie once with an architect. That must be what you do. You know what I tell people? My, I actually, my kids like this too. Um, what do you do all day? I, I, I just draw and color, you know? That's it. That's simple, simple enough. Great explanation. Although I don't really want to encourage my kids to do this, but they, they seem to, they seem to like it. You always say I draw pretty pictures of buildings. There you go. <laughs> my big box of crayons. Yeah, I, I, I guess that the, the whole idea of the camaraderie thing is, you know, this is kind of a, a tangent to that, but or what this current discussion, but I mean, really feel like, our profession is suffering from a lack of it. You know, it just, it, it does feel like what you were saying, Cormac, about how um, it's everyone for themselves. And, and I, I feel like it's hard for people to find mentors when there's that situation going on in places that we work. Um, I, there was, you know, and Andrew and, and you, and there was a bunch of people kind of chiming in on Twitter about, um, the business side of architecture, you know, and <clears throat> I, I think that there's, you know, it's been my experience that that side of, of the business is not very transparent and it's hard to get a foot into it to figure out what's going on and to learn when, when I feel like it's our firm's leadership's responsibility to be teaching the next generation how to do that and how to do that well. Um, but I, I also feel like there's, there's some lack in that as well. And, and, and so I'm wondering if, if the profession is, is getting hurt even more than it already is um, by this, and I don't know if it's driven by the economy or if it's just something that's just gotten worse. Um, or maybe that's just my perception. Well, you know, I mean, I always talk about, you know, the profession and their lack of foresight. And I've got a multitude of different, you know, things that I can give examples of. But in in reference to our particular topic, um, the lack of foresight that we have right now is that a lot of firms um, tend to, you know, isolate isolate the new the new from the old, and we the guys who kind of hold on to that um, that knowledge and information and don't want to share it and pass it on, they're the ones who are trying to protect their jobs and you know make sure that they are um, they're valued in the firm and they, you know, that the firm can't do without them. So when it comes time for layoffs, you know, well, you can't live without me because I have all this knowledge. Let me, you know, we got to keep him. But the thing is, is that it, it kind of dilutes the knowledge base in the, in the firm. And so the lack of foresight comes in when you should be preparing the younger, you know, the younger guys, um, for to basically take over for you when you ultimately want to retire and live the good life, 
Um, and you can't give up the mantle because you didn't prepare anybody to take over for you. And so every time, um, you know, I always say that, uh, um, architects never retire. They just die at their desk it's because they failed to prepare the next group of people to take over for them. So they can retire. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is being driven over the last, say like 20 years or so by technology. Um, you know, cause I, there's, there's some, I mean, there, you can teach the business side and that, and that part of it, I think comes down to sometimes the size of the firm, you know, in a smaller firm, you know, there seems to be much more sharing of information, um, in how things are being done or budgets and contracts and things of that nature. And when you, you move up to a larger firm in, in, at least in the larger, semi larger firms I've worked in, you know, some of that information starts to get, um, separated, you know, from the people working on the projects, you know, uh, oh, you don't need to worry about that or, you know, um, you know, that information's proprietary is not available to you or something. And, um, um, and, and so I'm, I just wonder how much of that, you know, is being driven by either the size of the firm and, or by technology and by technology. I'm, what I'm really seeing is that you've got, you know, say maybe some firm owners or some architects that may be in their fifties, um, that, have been doing this a long time and maybe kind of missed the technology um, side of it. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of stuck with, okay, well, I can maybe still design stuff, but then when it comes to production, and maybe those people shouldn't be doing, you know, if you're the firm owner, you know, it's not a, a wise use of your time or, or certainly budget money to be doing the contract documents at that point. But, um, you know, they, they're not doing the uh, the CAD work and or the modeling and and then you've got you know say a younger generation coming in and um they're doing all the modeling um you know and so they're not really being prepared for the rest of it because you do have this separation and 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 you don't have that camaraderie going in in the office i i, I don't know maybe there's some correlation there i don't i'm not sure i think that's part of it you know there's definitely and there's always going to be, you know, I don't, I don't know how sharp of a contrast it's going to be in the future, but there's always going to be the established people in the industry and then the newcomers, and they're always going to have a different set of skills, yeah, um, or tools, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the tone has changed there at all. You know, I every week I still hear people saying, you know, why, why can't we just do this by hand or why can't we do, you know, I, I don't ever see that person sketching anymore. Um, or I, I've never seen that person sketch or, you know, why, why do we have to use Revit for that? Why can't we use such and such a tool for that, that I'm used to using and that I'm comfortable using. And so I don't, yeah, I, I think you're, you're probably onto something there, Neil. I think that I, but I, I don't know that that's ever going to change. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, what I, you know, if you think back to say the forties and the fifties, you know, everybody working in an office and, and, you know, I wasn't, so I, I'm, I'm going to guess here, but there was no real technology different. And, and I could be totally wrong. Um, but you know, when you had guys, when everybody was doing stuff on the boards and I granted there, there was, you know, the pen and the layer system of, uh, 
you know, pen and I don't forget what that's called, but, uh, you know, I'm sure there were tech quote unquote technology changes. Uh, they were just different. Um, but essentially, you know, you had a T square and a triangle and you just, you drafted and, and that was no different from probably anybody in the office because everybody could do it. And the new guy coming in, all he had to know was drafting. There wasn't, um, you know, you didn't have to know Revit, AutoCAD, Vectorworks, or, you know, um, Mac or PC or, you know, worry about any of that stuff. It was, here's the pencil, here's the paper, um, you know, here we go, we start drafting. And I wonder how much technology has changed the dynamics in a firm and how the leaders of the firm uh, or the people coming up in the firm kind of uh, lose touch with that a little bit. And I don't know. I think it's definitely, I, I'll agree with you definitely that, you know, early on in the in the golden age of architecture, um, everybody was on, a, you know, equal playing field because you really, you know, it was either different levels of design capabilities and skills that really set you apart because everybody drafted, you know, everybody had and could master the same tool to do the representation of the documents, the renderings and everything like that, the model building and stuff. I mean, everybody had all of those skills. Um, and so there was a equal playing field and, and you're right it, you know, in the past 20 years, um, since the, you know, use of the computer has dominated the profession, we, you know, there are, you know, I mean, we, we still have, you know, people today that are, you know, running firms that don't even know how to open up their uh, email, you know, which is, you know, replace the fax machine and everything else. And so you, uh, you know, so there is a, a big gap of knowledge um, in just the regular tools, but then the people who know the tools, and I always, you know, say this and use it as an example with, um, uh, you know, with Revit, it's you know, the people who know Revit really well are typically not the people who know how to put together a building very well. Um, and, you know, I mean, that that's kind of a blanket statement, and it's not obviously always true, but, you know, the people coming out of school are usually the ones who are more versed in the, at least using the tool. Um, and, uh, you know, the people like the project managers and stuff, um, I'll use myself as, a, as an example. Um, when I'm, you know, when I, when I first uh, started using Revit, I used to complain all the time about how much it sucked. And, and I, I still believe it kind of sucks, but for various reasons of not being able to like, you know, turn corner with, you know, masonry and, and the, you know, veneers and stuff like that. But it's more of a technical issue. But, you know, I, I always, you know, looked at, you know, the tool as, you know, uh, why can't I just pull, you know, open up CAD and whip out the drawing real quick and do that? Well, you know, we're not using, you know, CAD anymore. We're using Revit. And, and so, you know, the older guys are getting left behind the newer guys are coming in with the skill but you know it, it goes back to that whole conversation of you know uh who's going to protect the knowledge and stuff and you know, thankfully i've i've grown um in the way that i do things where you know if they sh if the kids who know how to use the program can show me how to use the program you know it's not a give and take thing it's you know, i i just automatically kind of show them how to 
survive in architecture, but um, I try to, you know, kind of like say, okay, you know, you show me how to use Revit, I'll show you how to translate the design from the design to construction documents and detail it out and get it ready for bid and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, hey, Evan, how does how does this affect the camaraderie in office, in, in, do you think? You know, this, this separation of, um, you know, not everybody can jump in to help out on a project because they may be, there may be the barrier of the technology there. Um, so not everybody can. And how do you think that might affect or is affecting that camaraderie? Um, you know, one way that I would, st- I definitely see that happen is when you get somebody on, or somebody's on the team who's like a senior something or other, and they don't know how to use the tools and, and you've got a deadline and they are the ones who don't stick around and they're using it as an excuse, that's when it affects camaraderie, right? Because your quote-unquote leaders are not staying to get the job done. Um, And that's one thing I really appreciate about my mentor at work is he is there until we say it's done. Um, But I see other people in the office who... They show up late and they leave early and that's one of their excuses of why they can't be working on the projects because they don't know how to use the tools. And I definitely think that affects a team when especially the young people who are very young in their career don't see the leadership sticking around to get the job done. Um, you're, you're starting to foster a culture um, that just pretty selfish agreed um so let me ask you this because uh, this is always you know something that you know the observation of the typical archi- architect is the ego um you know how do how do we see you know, opinion to you guys is how do you see ego um of the architect you know uh affecting camaraderie You know, because I I work in the design side of things for the most part, I think a lot of people confuse. You probably aren't expecting what I'm what I might be getting into here, but I think a lot of people confuse ego with confidence. And you kind of you know going through school, presenting things in front of groups of people, going in front of city councils and school boards, you, you grow a thick skin, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Cormac, Absolutely. especially you're, you're doing this stuff and, and, and you hear a lot of people, I don't like, I don't like, I don't like and it. And, you know, to, to a certain, to a certain point, we, instead of hearing, I don't like, we hear an issue that needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think that, because we present things confidently in front of people, and this is another conversation I've had at work with people, it's it's confused as ego because you can get up there and so confidently present an idea and, and you do have a lot of answers for their questions. Um, so I, I think 
I think sometimes egos misconstrued that way. But I also do see, you know, I think what you're talking about maybe is the architects who wear capes (laughs) and (laughs) they can do no wrong and what they say goes. Um, And I definitely can, that kind of goes back to what I was just saying before about the selfishness uh, part of it, where it's more of a dictatorship. Um, And I definitely see that hurting teams because that is not a, an environment that fosters um, everybody's ideas on a level playing field. It's, it's more of a, what I say, you do it. Kind and and of that thing. was more of what I was referring to, because I, I will totally agree with you on the um, first point you were making. I mean, you know, a lot of people do misconstrue um, experience, confidence, um, and just, you know, basic day-to-day knowledge um, and the confidence in that, that, yeah, they, they think that that's ego. And, and rarely is that really the intention of the person that, you know, they may think, you know, oh, he's just arrogant and, and stuff. There, it's, it's the, the dangerous arrogance that I'm more talking about, the, the, you know, the poisonous one that you were, you know, that you're referring to, of the one who, <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, they, the telltale sign is when they're using archery, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> or they're I mean, wearing a cape, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, I mean, you know, even those people who are, you know, like um, using the archery. I mean, not necessarily are they always that arrogant. And I will say that you know we probably would say in in the profession dealing with some of those guys that yeah they are because they're preaching the kind of holier than thou type you know kind of attitude towards everyone else um uh but i i think what you know i i think it's that um you know the ones who are either um aren't really confident in or don't really have the uh experience but they have the confidence you know so they're like well you know do what i say you know it's just like but what do you mean and you know they can't really express it or explain it well just do it you know, I mean, those are the kind of cancers, but and that's not. Well, and they use your they use their position as yes, power. Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of where I was getting. Yeah. At. yeah, just starting to babble. <laughs> so, so guys, how do we how do we have the confidence to to try and fix not maybe not fix? How do we solve this camaraderie issue? Um, or what you know, Evan, you you mentioned earlier. You know the things that you're seeing that have um, that that's hurting the the camaraderie in in our profession. How you know what are some suggestions about how how we can go about bringing that back, um, or, or just creating it? Um, maybe it's something that that is hasn't always been lost, but um, but maybe needs to be encouraged more. I think that there's some aspect of it is that people are just done with architecture or done with their, their career path or, you know, I, maybe they need a change, but, but somehow they need to reignite their passion for what the, the reason they got into this business, because it seems like, you know, I don't know if their senses are dulled or they've just been beaten down too much, or they've been neutered by somebody in a higher position, um, or unemployed. But it really for four seems years. like is, I, mean, I don't know. Is it just un, unhappiness with their with what they're doing, um, and so they're taking it out on other people? Um, 
even even with new hires, I I really am seeing a lack of passion for architecture. And I can tell you, like, when I work with people who are passionate about what they're doing and they want to solve issues and they want to do it the right way and they, they want to do it effectively and they want to be efficient, but they, you know, there's these, there's like this tenacity and it's not like you're attacking the project and getting in, kicking ass and getting it done, but there's definitely, you know, some expediency happening, but they're just excited to work on architecture. And those are the teams to me that when, when you get somebody like that, that you're working with, uh, the day flies by, I mean, it, and it, and it makes it worth it and it's fun and you're doing it together. Um, that's the kind of thing that I would love to see more of. And, and so I think, you know, I think a better economy, a, a better job situation, a higher morale would definitely help with that. But I think that the firm leaderships really have to put in a ton of effort to figure out what the stimulants are going to be to create that environment in the work in the workspace, you know, to create that studio. Well, you know, and you're exactly right. Um, because one of the things that I notice is a lot of times, you know, people talk about one of the reasons why they're, you know, dismayed with the office or the job or whatever it's, it usually always ends up is the office environment or the studio environment. And, um, it seems to them that the studio isn't, doesn't seem to be interested in architecture. They seem to be interested in the business of architecture. Um, they seem to be you know, more interested in just going out, landing the next job, cranking it out, getting it out the door, moving on to the next one, you know, doing the sweatshop kind of, um, you know, atmosphere. And they're not necessarily fostering what it is that they themselves uh, enjoyed about architecture and got them into architecture. And they're not kind of giving that, you know, same joy and love of architecture to the rest of the, you know, rest of the team, the rest of, you know, the office, you know, and it's, you know, it could be, you know, as simple as, you know, one of the reasons why I started my little two minute sketch that's evolved into this madness that I've been doing is I I wanted a mental break from the day. I just wanted to detach a little bit, take a deep breath, do something fun and creative you know, because not every day you're, you know, cranking out drawings and, and drawing all these pretty pictures and stuff. You know, every, you know, a lot of times there's a lot, a lot of monotony. And so, you know, to kind of like stay in tune with my creative side, you know, I started doing these little sketches and stuff. And maybe the answer is, and, you know, this was things that I've um, pitched to, you know, my own offices, you know, let's have maybe a, a a weekly conversation just about architecture, really casual, you know, like what we're doing, you know, talk about what's interesting to um, each other. Talk about what's going on in the world of architectural news. I mean, just kind of like reinvigorate um, each other's passion for why they, why it was that they chose this profession. How do, how do you like, you know, instill this profession wide, you know, who knows, but if you at least start, at the basics down, you know, at the office level and try to, um, you know, just instill some things that make it where you can kind of like reconnect 
with the you know passion that got you involved with architecture in the first place. Um, sitting down, you know, having those casual conversations and chats about, you know, architectural news, the architectural, um, you know, gossip. I mean, hell, you know, it's always fun to, you know, talk about gossip. Um, but, you know, what that does is, you know, when you're sitting there talking about, oh, did you see what was going on here in this, you know, on this website or that, or, you know, did you see that, you know, they demoed this building or that, or that they're planning on doing something, you're engaging everybody in something that you have in common with everyone and that's a love of architecture because you would have never got into this profession if you didn't have it and that's the problem is is that we we kind of we we come in we put on our blinders we grab a hold of that mouse and we click away and we spend our entire day detached from each other um, in a way that really, you know, kind of further, you know, breaks up that camaraderie, um, and uh, you know, in in do simple things like, you know, having um, a, uh, you know, having a office wide charrette to, you know, have people engage and talk about, you know, what's going on and what's being produced in the office. And, you know, it, it, I think it really can boil down to almost simply as reconnect with what you love. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you, I know that, you know, there's there's definitely people, myself included, trying to do that where, where in my office. Um, and I, th- I think that to a certain extent that's right um, because... If, and especially if you want people to just know that the that the office is about architecture, then that conversation has to emanate throughout the office. It can't just happen between two people here and three people there in a conference room with the door closed, or um, or at lunch, you know, between a couple people. It does need exactly. to happen in the middle of the office. You know, stuff pinned up on a wall, people drawing on it, and and one of the cool things I think that you know, everybody's heard this before, but I, nobody cares where good ideas come from as long as there's good ideas, right? And the thing is, is that anybody in the office can have a good idea. And one of the things that helps foster that kind of culture within an office is that it is a safe place to throw out stupid ideas and no one's going to jump on them for having a stupid idea. Or no one's going to blow them off for having a stupid idea. There is no such thing as a stupid idea or a great idea. There is just ideas. And everybody's allowed to have them and share them. And that makes creating things a lot more safe and a lot more fun for for anybody to get involved. So it doesn't have to just be someone who, who just graduated. It doesn't have to be someone who's been there for a long time to lead the conversation. It could be anybody. And that makes, that starts to lighten the mood and and get people involved and make it a fun experience you know i was used to work in a firm that at one point tried to implement something like that where we started doing um some charrettes or would get the whole office involved say you know on late in the afternoon everybody stops and kind of comes in and in fact we were working on a fairly large project and um 
we split up the office into some teams and everybody was kind of uh, was given a brief presentation an overview of what the basics of the project was and then was given a couple hours to go off and you know design something or put together you know some some basic concepts and thoughts and ideas and then we brought it all back in we pinned it up and then we talked about it and that was a really great way to involve everyone in the office from every level uh didn't matter even you know receptionist was involved um and um that was a really nice, you know, that was a nice thing to do. The only problem was it felt forced and it wasn't part of the, and maybe they were trying to change the office culture and the economy kind of killed them, um, on that. But I mean, they were, they did see the problem and, and tried to, to create that camaraderie in the office. And the only problem I had with it was that it felt forced it wasn't part of this is the way we do things here. Um, and, and again, maybe they were trying to create that feeling and that's admirable. I mean, and maybe if they had been given the chance to, to let that, uh, evolve over time, then the office culture could have been created that way and, and it wouldn't have felt as forced. Um, but, um, but when it's, when it feels forced, then it doesn't feel like it's real. Um, and, and maybe that's just a subtle thing is, you know, I, I was only there for about a year before they, uh, really started laying people off. Um, uh, but it, uh, it, it definitely, um, has to be a part of that, that culture. And Cormac, I, I think your idea, uh, of just getting around and talking about things because we, we do get wrapped up in, in our own lives or, or our own hobbies. And, you know, a lot of people, I, you know, one of the things I enjoy a lot about following a number of different architects or, or uh, people involved in our profession is that, um, you know, they're, they're my eyes and ears for a lot of different things that happen in the, in the, around the world and in the profession. And I appreciate, you know, I don't ca- I don't see everything, uh, on through Twitter, but I catch things here and there and I'm, I've made aware of things happening in the profession that I might not have been able or might not have otherwise caught. And, um, you know, so I think your suggestion to do those little casual conversations and maybe, you know, that's a, you know, the, the office spends, you know, 50 bucks and buys everybody a sandwich and you all sit around for a lunchtime and, you know, you talk about something and, or you bring up like, you know, something somebody saw or, and it could be something local, you know, what's happening in the neighborhood or in your city, uh, that's big or important. Maybe it's a new building or, uh, some, some competition, or maybe even a direction that the company wants to move in or something they want to go after. Um, and you know, that could be really cool because you know, you, you may have younger staff that may know something that the senior staff doesn't know about. And then they could, that can come out and come up instead of, you know, the younger staff saying, you know, oh, I don't understand why they, they're not doing this or they, they're, they don't go after this. And it's, Hey, you know, they're dealing with the day to day business and they may not know about it. Um, or they just have different interests. So they may not know about it. And so I think that that's a great way to build that camaraderie in the office. And, you know, and maybe it is, you know, I, I know one of the firms I worked for uh, a number of years back, we used to do um, like a barbecue on like a Friday afternoon, you know, during the summer, 
we had nice weather and, you know, it wasn't all hot and muggy or anything here in the Bay Area. So San Francisco Bay Area. So it, 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 it was nice. And, you know, getting an opportunity, we had a softball team uh, that I managed when I worked there. And that's another way to just to get to know your coworkers a little bit. And that starts to build that camaraderie um, kind of internally um, within the firm so that, you know, you know, the people you work with, they feel like you're part of your family. Right. And, um, you know, that, that can sometimes be a great way to, um, really, um, you know, feel like that firm is, it's part of your family, your coworkers or your friends. And, um, you know, you may even go out on the weekends or families get together and, and that, that helps build that. Um, and then you don't have that kind of separation, you know, between the bosses and, and, uh, everyone else. And, um, you know, maybe that's, that's what, you know, senior level staff people need to do more of that and, and, and bring make those things happen. Yeah. I think that, that one of the things that you've got to look at is if you don't figure out how to do this inside your office, you have a bigger problem and that's right outside your office. And that is getting people in your community excited about architecture. Because if you don't have clients, you're out of a job. And I think that the most successful projects are the ones that involve clients who are excited about their project. And they're excited to have you on their team because you get them excited about what you guys are all doing together. Exactly. And so you've got to be able to do that in your own office. You've, you've, your team has to be excited to work together if you want it to take it to that next level outside the office. Well, you know, real quick, um, it you hit it perfectly. If if you can't foster that excitement within your own firm, the client's going to pick up on it. The client's going to say, yeah. you know, I mean, if you're not excited about architecture, why should I be excited about the architecture you're selling me? You know, and you won't be selling them architecture because they're going to go and find somebody who is excited and who can, like, you know, um, have the team coming in there with, you know, this excitement about the ideas that they're presenting you and all of this other stuff and, and really, um, you know, exuding this, um, this appreciation for what they're, you know, what they do. Um, so, so yeah, I, um, real quick, another thing, um, I was, I was thinking about this as, as neat, Neil, you were talking about, um, ideas, um, and one thing that can actually work towards the firm's benefit, we had, one of one firm that we had, we it, it was essentially a, a an office standard is that we every project team during each phase of the project, SD, DD, CD, CA would present. You know, the whole project team would present to the rest of the office what's going on with the project. Sometimes it would end up being a sure you know a charrette. Sometimes it would be a jury. Sometimes it would just be showing everybody what is going on out on the construction site. Um, but it would be a way to kind of show not only, you know, the rest of the office what's going on with the project, but it's a way to kind of integrate uh, a lot of the newer kids. I keep saying kids. A lot of the newer people um, who are just coming out of college um, showing them, you know, what goes on, you know, throughout the entire process of a project. 
and I was thinking about this, what better way to show uh, some of the more senior staff who's not familiar with a lot of the technology how some of the new process is, you know, happens than sitting down and giving a presentation, projecting, rev it up on the board, showing everybody what it does and what the value of it is, showing everybody what SketchUp can do, um, showing, you know, giving a presentation through the tools that we are using to let everybody understand what those tools are and what the, you know, maximum capability or even, you know, what, um, you know, if it's maybe somebody's using it who's not quite versed in it and somebody is well-versed in it, you know, showing that person who's not well-versed in it the full capabilities of it, and, you know, almost showing them, oh, you know, I need to go over and talk to Evan because Evan knows this uh, program, you know, he'll, he'll show me what, you know, what I can do and, you know, what I'm doing wrong and stuff like that. So it's a way to kind of give everybody, um, you know, uh, just kind of a, an, an overview, if at the very least an overview of all of the tools that we're now using. Yeah, I think I think those are great opportunities to just instead of uh, coming up with a presentation, right, is to just say pencils down, here's where we are at, here's what we're using to do the job, and you're just saying here's where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be a big, a big, uh, a good thing for the office to see well, everybody. I, I think it's also an opportunity to let everyone on the team, um, practice their presentation skills. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you're, you're up in front of the office. It's no different than if you're up in front of the city council or planning commission or something, uh, like, you know, or community group. Um, and each member of the team can take a shot at it, um, and practice those skills and, and, and it builds, you know, uh, what I like about that. And I, I think I, one of you guys just mentioned this is that, um, you know, you may be working on something and through this process of, uh, discovery, you know, by another team presenting in, 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 say in a larger office and suddenly you go, Hey, these guys maybe have solved something that I was, or, or I'm going to have to deal with coming up or I've been struggling with trying to figure out how to do this. Well, oh wow, they, they, they figured it out or they, right. they have an idea. And, uh, you know, even within an office, especially as you get to larger offices, you know, you, you might not have had any idea at all. So then you can go to that person and say, Hey, how did you, you know, oh, I saw you did this and I'm working on something similar. Um, and so that's another great way to, to kind of build this camaraderie, um, you know, within an office and, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, throughout the profession. Yeah, I agree. Good stuff. Well, so, so, so Cormac can get some sleep because we're recording this late this week. Um, you can follow all of us on our Twitter account, actually, at A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K, or on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, and you can follow all of us there on our various Twitter accounts. And thanks for listening this time. All right, see you next week. See you guys. Bye. I used to shy away from the stampede. I'd hibernate, hunker down in my heart at all. To get good at the game, I had to grease up my riot gear. And that craving came, went across the lawn.